I need cash, okay? What the fuck is going on? Big booty. Throw it in everything. Deal with it. The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. Good morning. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Yeah, what do you have on the docket for today? I have a few things if you don't have anything, but Uh, what's going on for this very riveting show that has three or four listeners? (laughs) Listen, you three people, listen to me. Listen to this. I am so probably depressed, which it probably is evident to anyone listening, that I'm even looking at getting a job. Oh. I don't want to do it, though. You're giving up on the dream? I don't know. Is there a dream? Is it like George Carlin says, it's called the American dream because you have to be sleeping to believe it or something like that? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm tired of not having an income. I know that. And I don't actually have a desire to like climb any corporate ladder. Ultimately, a job for me is like a means to an end. And it actually kind of, it's one of the excuses I use that like inhibits me from getting a job. Like, you know, when you get hired, you get this, there's like a vibe, you know, and they're like, why do you want to work here? You know, what are your goals? That kind of stuff. And it's like, my honest answer to those are not hireable answers. It's like, I just want some money so I can start my own business. I just, I need cash. Okay. Like, that's all I'm here for. Mm. How long will I be here? It's as short a duration as possible, to be honest. Uh, you know, <laughs> like, so, oh, there's a big deer. It's going to come eat my garden. Kim, there's a deer in the backyard. I'm watching. He's going to come up here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get him. Actually, that looks like a girl. She'd be big as hell. Deer are so weird. Like, what is that animal? They're weird little legs. It's a shame you can't ride them. Okay, anyways. Oh, my God. That just feels weird to me because I am actually quite a diligent person. Like I'm not someone you hire and then I just dick around all day and look at my phone. Like, cause I've used to manage, be a manager and there are people like that, you know, they just immediately don't care, which I kind of get that on a certain level, but I'm also, I just have this like virtue in me. I don't know if it's from my dad, my mom, just the way I was raised where it's like, if you are hired to get a job, you do a good job. Like, you try to do better than anybody else, kind of, you know? Yeah, you do as good as you yeah, can do. Yeah, so... Yeah. No, I understand that. I kind of feel similarly a little bit where I'm like, you know, I want to do my own thing. I think everybody should kind of do their own thing, uh, in a sense, because I think the thing that, like, you're uniquely interested in and are going to devote your full effort and energy and attention to, it's like, that's the thing you're going to do best in that... You know, other people like we would be lucky if we could get that from everyone. And so I almost feel like everyone should do that. And so we should stop being like, you need to stay here and climb the ladder. And it's like, but what if the person wants to do something else? I feel like we should be more like sometimes things are an end to a means like they need a job while they're trying to figure out something or to get them to the next level to start their own thing. This is a topic I'm super interested in. I'm going to I got to stop saying super. I don't know why. There's something about that word. I don't Because I why. say super and then I say super duper sometimes. I'm like, well, who? what am I saying? I, it just sounds weird, but I do it. It's like it's like the word like. I'm just like, I throw it in everything. Super this, super that, super duper this. But I, um, 
I'm really interested in this and I don't even know how to like describe it as a topic. And you'd be a good person to discuss this with because of your lifestyle, let's say. And sorry, it's so distracting to watch this deer just like eat everything in the backyard. You know, it's like nature. I'm like, wow, look at it. Um, and, no, and they're everywhere too. It's, it's basically like looking at a rat. And I also have a cat. Like, just look at what this, look at this motherfucker staring right at me. Like oh <laughs> literally it was staring into my eyes from the back porch. Just like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, oh my God. Like, leave, go away. Um, oh my God. So this topic is, and we don't have to talk about this today because this could be like a long topic because I haven't like formulated a way to talk about it yet, but it, I can boil it down in like into like different phrases like different sentences like one of them would be like very broad brush like what are we doing here so like what the fuck is going like, on like so you yeah you're <laughs> you are born you live this big chunk of life it's coming from this freaking book also because it's all about the human life cycle as a time as a, like a timing mechanism so i'm the fourth turning yeah so it's like constantly like reminding me of like the stages of life and all this which is funny because it's not like meant to be depressing or like psychological, but it's like fucking me up. <laughs> wow, I just really popped that pee. Um, so you're born, you have some period of time, you become like a young, a preteen and then teenager. And there's like this transition phase. And the whole mm -hmm. time, really, you're in, you're going to this, we described it last podcast, like you're in the school thing, this like prison system which doesn't even have to be as bad as it is, but it's the way we do it. It's like not great because it's very prison like. Right. Cinder blocks and bells and, and schedules. Yeah. And, and all of that is a means to an weird. end. So they say, right? Like you do this so that when you get out, you can then like start your career, make the money, et cetera, et cetera. And then sometimes mm -hmm. that doesn't work out. Like you don't make all that much money or you get this kind of job or that kind of job or you're not prepared for a job yeah or you have to just go now you got to go to university for 10 years if you want to be like a doctor right, you know what i mean yeah. like so congratulations on life then there's like these other markers as well so you can like get a relationship you can have a child and then i, I feel like having a, mm. a child is something i'm interested in to a certain extent because it's like this kind of very fundamental thing that indicates kind of a greater meaning you know like so it can kind of be beyond mm, anything yes. else if you have a kid then like at least yeah. you can do good at that or something you know i'm putting it in weird terms yes but it becomes the most important thing in your life yeah everyone has that like experience being a parent and your child yeah, yeah so you could be like i never had much money or did this but i poured everything i had into this person and i think i'd be really really great at that because i'm like anti-screen, anti-frivolous entertainment, like continuous fr frivolous entertainment. I hate Coco Melon and all like, all that crap that kids are like pacified with. And I'm really into like figuring things out and like dealing with like little issues, or, like fixing the fixing the small engine, the lawnmower, going outside, planting garden, looking at how all the things in nature work together and. Now I'm doing like this mushroom hobby like that. Those are all really interesting things that I feel like could really pique the interest of like a young person. So, yeah. but then if you don't do that, like what really, what are we doing? It's like just living, working and then dying. And I am a person who has like a hard time dealing with that. I got a degree in philosophy. Like nobody does that unless there's something 
going on. You know, it's like psychologists, you know, like if you go all the way, like you're really concerned about the human condition. <laughs> I approached it from both angles. I'm like, I need to know the philosophy of it and the psychology of it. Like, give me everything you can. And it's like, this is just going to cost you money and make give you no return. It's like, I know. I just have to figure out what people said about this throughout history, please. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'll mention it to Kim, and she's different. She's like, I've resigned to that, basically. Like, she's an artist, but she just does, like, graphic design mm-hmm. for a global company. She's like, yeah, it's like soul-sucking, and I in a lot of ways I kind of hate it yeah. you know like this isn't optimal but I've just is just what I have to do and I think about it all the time but like I just do it and I just struggle with just doing it I, I maybe I'm like a child I yeah. don't know but uh no I don't know it's interesting because yeah I don't I mean I thought about this exact question recently uh and we just don't know what is meaningful I think like we don't know what we should be spending our time on and whatnot and I think partly it's like we don't know who we are that's what Kim literally said that to me last night she's like I just don't think you know who you are and I'm like yeah I know like uh, exactly like I don't know I don't know yeah but I don't think anyone know like we I would say like not like the individual doesn't know who they are but like we don't know as a people like who we are um and I think uh yeah we don't know what to be reverent to like what things matter um because on some level I think like you do want to spend a life where you progress and you study something and you get to a level of development throughout your life and you're cultivating something. But then it's like, what should you be cultivating? Because you can cultivate like a career, like you can become an investment banker, you know, like you could cultivate that kind of thing. But that doesn't seem like, you know, in the final analysis is like that what we should be spending our lives on. And then I think obviously people are like, well, no, that's silly. Um, yeah, like why is it? Because we don't even know, even if we feel like we've kind of stumbled upon the meaning, like something meaningful, like childbearing or whatever. It's like, I can actually understand that on a, on a level, but at the same time, I don't know why it's meaningful. You know, it's like, it's just something very, yes, very viscerally yeah. observable, but it, then it's like, like, I don't get that. And there's, I get the tendency yeah. to like scientificalize it and be like, Ooh, biology, procreation, evolution. And it's like, like uh, Russell Brand or somebody said one time, because I don't buy any of that. And he encapsulated it. He's such a genius in a lot of ways. He's probably like... He talks so fast. It's he's crazy. probably a CIA plant or something. But he... Oh my I think they're, bring, they're, they're building him up right now in the alternative space to tear him down later. Because he probably has skeletons in his closet. He was a hardcore drug addict for many years. I, not my opinion. Somebody else put that forward. And I think it's possible. But... He did encapsulate this and he said uh, regarding like evolution and God and all that kind of stuff and like how science approaches it. And science basically says, and this Mm -hmm, is his quote, mm -hmm. give us one miracle like the Big Bang or something and then we'll explain the rest. Because somehow that's more that's Mm -hmm. more cohesive than like saying that there's many miracles or more than one. You know what I mean? It's like, just give us one miracle. We'll do the rest, you know, and it's like. I feel like we're so clouded by that kind of thinking because we kind of all buy into that mm. to some, on like some fundamental level because it's a story that's been told over and yeah. over again. I totally, yeah, could see that. That's interesting. I've been reading Young. No, you haven't. Ding, um, <laughs> because <laughs> really, when did you start I doing that? No. <laughs> oh my god! Literally, that's my my. Uh, what do you call those annual resolution? I said I'm going to read this oh. book. This is going to be my year of Young. 
So anyway, I'm reading his works. It's good to stay young. Yeah, I have been reading his dream analysis recently, which is... Is that the little red book? Absolutely. Is that what that's called? Crazy. Is that what? the red book? Or the what's book. what is his... Uh, no, it's like a... It's not called that. I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't have it next to me right now. But there's a... I mean, he's done a lot of analysis and writing about dreams, but there's this particular writing where he like goes through a series of dreams that this person had. And so he's like, this is a good... Mm case study essentially like one person had a series of dreams that they recorded and then he psychoanalyzed but he goes through all of this and it is really crazy and very interesting um his analysis or the person's dreams both mm. um and the thing that i thought most interesting kind of what to what you said and what you've said kind of before where you're like i don't believe our history or whatever um, like I think we're kind of being told stories and maybe some of them aren't true. Maybe some of them are useful. Like they were stories told for a reason to convince people of something for, to make something happen or make people more docile or, you know, whatever, like who knows? Or even just and more cohesive things, something. Yeah, sure. Maybe there, yeah, there's always maybe a psychological impulse. Like there's a psychological impulse to lie. You could think about that on like the historical level. Like why would there be a reason to like convey a history in a certain way? There's like some... You know, not always the best psychological reasons for that. And so one thing that he said that was really interesting in this dream analysis, Young said, was like, you don't need to do a historical analysis. He was like, the unconscious is like already a historical record of reality. And he's like, you might learn as much from doing a historical analysis as just from studying your own dreams and the dreams of people. And I thought that was a wacky, it sounds wacky on the face of it, a wacky crackpot Wait, theory. You study your own, g- own dreams in order to understand our history? Our history, like who we are. Okay. Isn't that's, that crazy? Here's, I had a dream last night that was directly connected to the struggles I'm having psychologically. Okay. Interesting. Okay, and yeah. Let's hear about this. And then it's I'll super short because I have I don't have analysis. very many details. But last night I had to like, I don't do this too often, but I had to like rant to Kim about like my struggle. It was literally I was like, do I need to get a job? Like, is that why I got? Do I need yeah. to do that? Like, what? What is like? What do I do? You know, like we need got to talk money or something. And I kind of just started. It got very meta, and it's like. I feel I've already exposed how my work in my working life has gone. I've had a job base jobs on and off since I was like 14 years old, very young because my mom worked for a small company. So I was able to like have jobs. Then before I was even in high school, I was working at like a shoe store. I've worked for Walmart. I became like manager level, uh, you know, middle, middle store management level there. Decent enough money. I worked for a technology integration company working with school districts with the E-rate system. Don't worry about what all, what all that means, but it was a nice job. I worked for a utility location company, USIC. I've worked for a payroll company, moved up in that job as well, but I wanted to kill myself because it was so boring. Uh, I've worked for a guy who runs a pallet company. I've done a lot of just random stuff. And people should know that you have... Two college degrees, and two like college undergraduate degrees. degrees. 
So it's not like you just had to do yeah, this. Yeah, like you could have done. I other can do stuff, and, and that's also that's actually there's opportunity, which actually causes is a cause of a lot of the pain because like Kim has a job, or my parents mm-hmm. funded me, or I'm like I'm also like fairly comfortable homeless. Like I, I've done that before too. So it's like I've done so many things that I'm like, okay, so what what do now? As I like to say, you know, because I have options, and just to have these options and these struggles is like evidence of something that I hate, a term that I hate to use but let's use it in this case, a kind of privilege, you know, like it's a, or let's use a better word, a luxury. So it's like a luxury that I, that I can contemplate. Should I do this or should I do that? Should I start my own company or should I do this? Let me try this. Kim, can I borrow a little bit of money? I can kind of mess around and try to figure it out and I'm not going to die basically. And I'm not going to go homeless necessarily. Mm -hmm. And there's certain responsibilities that come along with that. I have to be like a good spouse and all that kind of stuff. But with that comes, because I have these options and because of how those other jobs have gone and how I've responded to them psychologically, it's like been killer. Like I've at Walmart, I had an experience where, and this is like just not uncommon from what I've discovered, where I had a manager that was one level above me one time scream so close to my face that his spittle was flying on me and it was like, it, I mean, I'm talking about, it was like an angry 55-year-old bald dude that was just freaking, I mean, like, if it wouldn't have been at work and I would have been a different person, it's like the kind of mm. accosting that would have got you knocked out, you know, just like the res- yeah, proper response just was just like, break your nose yeah. because what are you doing right now? And then I worked for that meth guy. Yeah. Can I just comment on that too, though? Like, it is weird that in the workplace, I always think about this, like, you have to adhere to, like, unnatural social rules and hierarchies in the workplace because, like, that. Especially when they're broken by somebody else, you don't, you have to, like, everyone else has to control themselves. Exactly. Like, but because that person is, like, your boss or whatever, it's like, well, of course I can't punch that person. But it's like, if that's normal life and you're just equal, it's like, of course that person's going to get punched. You can't just yell at people, like, or, you know, something's going to happen to you. Yeah. Like, and I feel like it's weird in the workplace that we sort of let those things go. We're like, oh, no, those normal social conventions, yeah, that doesn't apply. And I usually, I'm kind of a pacifist in a lot of ways. So, like, I've had people, I, I have a lot of weird interactions. Like, I, I was like joking around with you. Probably wouldn't deck that. Guy. No, like I would just because I'm just like you're a loser, you know. Which I which was what I thought. I'm like, dude, you are 55 years old and you're a loser and you're bitching about my work ethic here. And I've moved up <clears throat> from my original position like three times in a month from when they hired me, you know. So like, calm yeah, down. Yeah. I'll have your job in 10 minutes. And like, also this is Walmart. Literally, calm down. Yeah. So you were working all these different jobs yeah. and whatnot. So I've had lots of those experiences. Plus. I've had this experience with the pandemic thing when I wouldn't wear a mask because of something I've already explained in grave detail. If you need to know, it's a great story and it's absolutely asinine to me that it happened and the way that it happened. So, so convoluted that I get it. I understand that people are like, well, just put the fucking mask on, but fuck you. I'm not doing that. Like, and also in the situation in which I was asked to put a mask on was so cognitively dissonant absurd for it should have been for everybody in the situation that i literally felt like i was in a mental institution like it was i've been in mental institutions those people were acting more reasonably than the situation at hand 
And because I'm un- so unwilling to go along with some stuff that it's just, I'm trying to paint a picture of how I don't really react in a way that most people would just like suggest that I react. Like I, I almost cannot do it. You know, I, there's just lines I draw and I, I don't know. Like you mean like someone might interpret you to be like, oh, this person who's just kind of, they probably just think that I want to storm the Capitol or something where, whereas I'm not that guy, you know, I'm just, I'm like, I just can't be caring about all this bullshit. Yeah. I can't just like, you can't control every single aspect of my life. I can't, I just can't, I cannot abide. So you need freedom. So I'm like trying to start my own stuff and all this. So it's, I'm trying to paint a picture of, it's not just, Oh, should I get a job or shouldn't I? It's like, I'm also spending $15,000 on a new sawmill. And I just spent a couple thousand dollars building this mushroom laboratory. And then all of that weighs on you. And it's like all my money, everything, you know, I just keep pouring everything into it. And I'm like, am I being stupid? Like it's, it's really, and try to imagine and being in a situation where, Every single time you want to do anything that costs any money at all, you don't really have any because someone else is making all the money. So you have to like run it by the other person and kind of they have to kind of want what you want a little bit too. You know, like it's really, it's just stressful. It's not a great, it's a very dependent situation. It's like getting investment. Yes. It's, and it's, even if it's like cordial, there's still an aspect of it that's a little slavey. You know, not like slavey, that's the wrong term, but a little, Hmm. Like you're not independent in some sense. Yes. Like you're not capable of doing this on your own. You need this other person to help you do it. And I, and yeah. so there's like ways out and ways in. So anyways, I'm expressing this and I'm going yeah. through like my childhood and we're talking about it, me and Kim last night. And then like, who am I? What do I do? I can't, I don't, why can't I do these things? Why do I act this way? Why am I just a child? You know? So then I wake up this morning having this crazy dream where I'm back in college and hmm. I'm having this weird experience. The whole premise of it is, should I quit before I finish? Should I quit college before I finish? So the, there's a one guy who's like a professor. And in my dream, he represents, I don't know if it was me, but basically represented the concept of sticking it out. You do have something. You are different, but it's, I like it. Like he kind of appreciated me somehow. Everybody else did not like I I was like doing a test or something totally like a nondescript test. And it was like, you're not doing the test right. You're not doing good enough. You're getting you're not giving the right answers. You're not the right kind of person to be doing this. Like you don't really belong here. You really just need to get out of here and go do something else. And I wake up to that and I'm like, oh, my God, that was like a literal identical symbolic representation of the conversation I had right before I went to bed. I know this isn't exactly, so if we want to, we can get away from that, but then tie it back to young. If young is right. And this is like exposing something about our history. It, it kind of looks like that kind of thing that a lot of people think when they think what's the purpose here. It's like to struggle, to learn, to persevere, Mm. to struggle against yourself and against the world. And I don't know. I'm just pointing out that the dream was not a random dream. It was inexorably linked to my Mm -hmm. real life situation Mm -hmm. in a way that was beyond question. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's super interesting because I, I do think 
everyone faces that, like a calling and then like a struggle to follow that calling or whatever. And I think that's kind of what Jung was saying in this recent text that I was reading in the dream analysis part where he was saying like the masculine, the father, the traditional spirit, all of those things being the same, he's like, that is order, that's the structure, that's the society. And he's like, and that's uh, the structure in which there are goals and pathways forward. But no one can develop fully as a person into their personality and have psychological and spiritual renewal without the straying from that, without the leaving of that, which is the bringing in of the like maternal spirit, the like journeying into the unknown, the unconscious and the changing. The, the maternal is like the moon, you know, the, the feminine is always changing. She communes with the The feminine is the, unknown, the chaos the and symbol, symbolism. The right. masculine is the order, like the patriarchal. Right. Supposedly, which is funny. Yes. I don't know if that matches on to society, but nevertheless, go on. I we all get that, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to say that like men are like whatever. I it's just not even like, men and women. It's not really even referring to that. It's way beyond that. Yeah, yeah, at a psychological level. Um, so yeah, so then he's like, you really need both. But I just thought, kind of what you're saying is like, you know, we all are born into a traditional society, and that is a structure in which we can grow. There's pathways laid before us. You know, we have goals, and that. Uh, facilitates us moving forward in our lives. But then to feel satisfied and to feel like you're growing as a person, I think you have to like adventure out of that. And that's going to be very difficult because there are no pathways for you that have been laid. It's unknown in some sense, and that's, you know, anxiety inducing. And uh, so in the dream analysis that he was, you know, kind of going through, it was super interesting because, so he talks about that at a general level, but then he talks about the psychological history of man. Like, he's like, every person, so this is, you have to buy into, like, the collective unconscious idea, which the simple argument would be, like, how do we all share common instincts? So people share things that they're not aware of, that they respond to naturally in situations. Like, just, just the theory of the instincts. There's something that is shared that is not in conscious awareness. So that's like a foundation for like, there's something there and then we could explore what that is, the collective unconscious, so to say. And he's like, the collective unconscious maybe is like a record somehow that's passed across time that is like a, a human history in some sense, but not like a literal history, like a archetypal history, like a, a history of potentialities and possibilities and the themes across time. And so you experience it symbolically. And so that's what the symbols and dreams are is his hypothesis. And so he was like, you don't need to like learn history almost like you can just study dreams. And so he like goes through this dream analysis and there's like all these illusions. So there's like all this symbology in these dreams and in your dreams in general, like sometimes there's things and images that you don't quite understand, um, but have, you know, maybe personal significance, but also like historical significance. And so he kind of analyzes all these different symbols and draws in all these different illusions and whatnot. And he is like, well, I know that this may seem very weird to people. Like, it seems very far-fetched that I'm drawing all these, like, far-flung, like, oh, there was, like, a, a card of clubs in this dream, and the club is represented by the cross. And he's like, but you'd only understand that if you knew that, like, in, you know, Europe, like, the club is called the cross, and that's, like, also representative of, like, the Christian Holy Trinity, and that's, like, there's an origin story for that symbol. And so he's like, 
all of these symbolic uh, connections and illusions and how they've transformed over time, he's like, that's already stored in the collective unconscious. So you don't need be taught about that um, explicitly. Like you could just study your dreams and the illusions because in the dream, you like kind of already know in some sense the meaning of things. You see maybe like with your mind's eye images and symbols, but you know, in the dream, it's like, like you can know that like that person was X, you know, even though the person never told you their name in the dream or they didn't look like that person at all. And so it's just a very interesting hypothesis to me. Um, and yeah, I think everybody struggles with, yeah, finding their own way. And I think, yeah, your dream is uh, interesting. The, yeah, this this book, I, interestingly enough, of course, we just talked about synchronicity. I woke up and then I just decided to read a few pages of it just to get it, you know, I just try to do a little bit all the time. And I just kind of tried to look for the quote. I didn't find it. And in case anyone's wondering who's more social and who's more psycho, uh, my pages are marked with a razor blade. Uh, so that's oh interesting. Um, but I don't even know. The more we do this podcast, the more I think I'm psycho and you're social. <laughs> I don't know about that. But I will say there's a lot of like pointing to other author so i it's not this person saying he was quoting someone else kind of but that had identified mm. three different types of people and i i couldn't find it so i can't give you the exact terms but it I, the simplified version of them was kind of like there's the leaders the followers and the strugglers and as he described it i was like i am a struggler like so there's mm. the people kind of who set the path there's the ones that kind of go along they take the cues and they're like, aha, this is how it's done. And they go and they do it. And then there's the people who are like, I can't abide by that. Like, I don't, there's something wrong. And then those people, some people just struggle against it, but other people literally fight against it. And those would be like your mm. radicals, I guess. I don't know. Revolutionaries. Yeah. But, and it's weird because he also points out that like you can be part of a generation and identify as part of a generation. So like you could be, a millennial and no, I'm a millennial, but it doesn't mean that you like it. It doesn't mean that you appreciate your group necessarily, but you yet, yet you still mm. know you're part of it. And I think that that can, that's kind of along the lines of like the struggling type. So there you go. Listener, identify yourself. Um, but I thought that was kind of interesting too, because it's just went right along with like where I'm trying to figure it out. And it's maybe partially comforting to know that they're, Throughout the ages, people have been identifying. Like we wouldn't even be writing about this kind of stuff unless, yeah, it was like but in us. I don't know. I almost, yeah, I almost feel like everyone struggles. It's almost like the leaders and the followers are like dealing with the struggle in different ways. It's like the followers are like, well, it's all. You know, I'll it's, rely it's on someone twofold. else to navigate me through this. It's twofold because you have the. It's it's by timing of like your birth. Mm. So like, this group has been here kind of longer. And they're just in that position. And then there's those that will eventually supplant them. So it's not like you have to be following in the sense that like you're identical to them or trying to replicate that necessarily, but that there's somehow you can still yet identify that there are these ones that will kind of supplant that, even if it is in some kind of a change. It's a, it's kind of a weird system or weird. Sure way to think about it like maybe there's a cyclical nature to that yeah i guess well i was thinking like kind of i just have these experiences in corporate america where i work with people and like i don't 
fit in, I feel like. I am so different. I'm almost like you, and but not quite to the degree, I think. Like, I can deal with, like, some of the normative, like, oh, you have to do these things and whatnot. Maybe more so than you feel like you can deal with. But I am very, like, weird, I think, in the workplace. Like, I will send people... You know, like someone was like, oh, I like classical music. I'm going to play it for my baby. And I was like, oh, I, you know, study classical music. I was like, I'll send you a bunch of my favorite symphonies. And then I just sent this person all these symphonies. And I'm like, I don't think people do. Like, no one ever sends me symphonies, you know, because it was like I sent this person like eight hours of music. I think we are very (laughs) similar to each other because there was a guy that I think I talked to in college. And then later I was like, he would really appreciate these conversations that I heard. Um, and they were like a few disparate conversations and I had to like go through, I mean, I spent like an hour trying to find this stuff for this guy and I sent him all this, I put it all on an email and I'm like, check this out at this timestamp and like, da, 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 da. like, these are some really interesting theories that really go along with what you were thinking. And you were like, and it's, I'm like, is he even going to look at this? Like, is he going to be like, what the fuck dude? Like chill out. Like, I don't <laughs> even care. I'm just here to get my degree and like move on. Like I was just talking cause we were in class, you know, like I'm just, I don't know, but I think that that's, yes, I, imp- yeah. I think that that's part of. I appreciate that because that's more social. It's a little social psycho, but it's also like that quote, you know, it's it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society, you know. So the fact yeah, that you mm. do some out there things can bring a lot to the yes, to the situation. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like we're all just at work, but let's do like here's this and like these little extra components we can add right. into the whole mix of what's going on and it like adds like spice or whatever you want to say. Yeah. It's like a vulnerability and I almost feel like ashamed or embarrassed almost a little bit after I do it. And but it's like I am genuinely like interested in these things and I'm like I really find these things meaningful and interesting and like I think you would too. Like, I think anybody would, or like, at least like you, but based on who I know you to be or like the things you've said to me. Um, and I think, yeah, it's like, if we're going to be here, like together, like let's build real relationships. Like let's not, I know that we have to do this work or whatever. And that's kind of like a today thing, you know, like work will be different in the future. And like, in some final analysis, all societies will be wiped off the face of the earth, you know, so it's like none of this matters, but it's like our relationship can matter, like our relationship can exist beyond time and space, you know, and like if we foster that, like maybe maybe that'll make this meaningful. And so I feel like kind of this impulse to like share things and even this podcast, I'm like, you know, kind of I've shared it with some coworkers, you know, and I'm like, Maybe this is going to get me fired. Maybe this is, you know, yeah. like really revealing about me in a way that like people don't want to be this vulnerable with me. Like this conversation can be really intimate because it's like literally a conversation with a close family member. Oh, <laughs> you know? like, I literally can I can't even listen to him half the time because it's just like I hate it. But at the same time, I always I go through this whole thing. and It's like it kind of culminates into whatever, you know, like it is what it is like to try to like hide it would be to wait to manufacture something that I can't, yes. that isn't what it is. Cause this is what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is just what yeah. it is. And exactly. we're like, we're doing some of the things like SOP, you know, the standard operating procedure post twice a week, <laughs> da, 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 like have it lined up, do the, do the thing. But then at the same time, it's like, I don't know. I don't even know if I like it, but it is what, let's just put it out there. Cause it's, it's almost like it's just uh, here. It's honest. Even if I don't even mean what I right. said, I'm not saying the podcast is honest, even if I didn't mean what I said, or I like cringe at how worked up I got about <laughs> Indian people living yeah. in my town, it's like, whatever, you know, like I said it, 
ta-da, deal with it, you know? It is, yeah. There's a whole thing there, too, because I think, too, like, partly I have that feeling, but then I'm also, like, you just never, it's like you're craving this almost. Like, we all crave this, like, level of sincerity that's just, like, base-level honesty. And I think we get confused about, like, no, we need to hear the truth. You know, like, what, we need to hear people say the right things. And it's like, you don't know what the right things are. Like, what are the right thing? What are the true things? Yeah. And I think partly it's like you just want to hear something sincere and genuine and you want to have a meaningful relationship with someone. And that requires you to be vulnerable, not in the way of like, oh, I'm being like vulnerable, you know, by like sharing, you know, some weird fact about me. It's like, no, you're being vulnerable. And like, I know that I'm going to be judged for this. And like, and I do it anyway. You know, like yeah. I, because this is what, I have to say right now. I mean, <laughs> you know, the I most recent know. Joe Rogan podcast I listened to, because I, I I, think I've mentioned before, I don't listen to him. Like, he's not like a regular podcast. I, I usually just, I, I open his thing and I'm like, please be somebody interesting. And it's like, I'm never interested. <laughs> but I was at a podcast or whatever and I was doing like a bunch of dishes. So I just played one and it was so boring, kind of, in a way. But I was like, I literally was thinking to myself, why am I entertained by this? Because they weren't, it was just a guy, because he does that. Well, he'll just like have a friend on basically and they just talk. You know, and they're yeah. like, oh, yeah. what shows are you watching? Oh, like what you would think would be cringeworthy content, but it's just like, it's sincere. It's not deep, but it's just a genuine conversation. And I was like, okay, if this is entertaining enough for me, sometimes I can't listen to stuff like that. I'm like, ah, it's too much noise. Just shut up. You know, too much blah, blah, blah. But it's almost just like shooting the shit, but I'm listening and it's decent enough, you know? And I think that there's, I think it's actually not even that bad because it's like, content out there that's not there's a podcast that literally has this title and it's funny because they almost do have an agenda but it's called no agenda and it's like it's kind of refreshing sometimes it's just like because it's funny because they pretty much hyper focus on politics but joe rogan's podcast i listened to literally had no agenda like you know what i mean like they literally just like i like i just said like just i like muscle cars Oh, that's cool. What's your favorite? Right. What's your favorite color? You know what I mean? It's like, why are we? Why am I listening <laughs> yeah. to this? Why am I entertained by this right now? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Yeah. So what I notice about myself that's different in the workplace and other people is like I share things, and it's like I'm not sharing them because I want you. Like I'm trying to change you. It's not like a Mr. Smith in the Matrix. Like I'm trying to make you into me. Like you need to be me. You know, and have these interests and whatnot. And when I encounter something really meaningful and interesting, it's like I almost can't help but share it. I'm like, everyone needs to experience Well, those this. are the most like, interesting people anyways. Yeah. Like, there's like I there's a couple of people I really like. I love listening to Paul Stamets because, he, to, honestly, he's mm. just a, he's just a super nerd that loves mushroom stuff. He's an aficionado. And he's, he's high level. He's a scientist. And I realize that to become that level of person takes a lot of work and dedication. But really, for him, it's just like mushrooms. Like, that's all he really is and talks about but we are drawn to people like that and then another one is randall carlson has some interesting ideas but he's like he's kind of has like a little realm of thought that he stays in like geography uh, geology astrology cataclysms on the planet you know that kind of thing ancient history to a certain extent and he's not even like schooled in it necessarily but he's just Mm. obsessed and because he's so interesting because he's obsessed with that stuff he gets to be on joe rogan like 10 times because (laughs) that's just how interesting people like that really are i think this affects me actually 
is that you experience mm. that, like you see like Paul Stamets or somebody like that on the Joe Rogan experience, and you think, I love this guy so much, you know, and it's kind of like a like a role model. And then there's the part, all the parts that you don't see, which is like not the pretty stuff. Like how did you not the Joe Rogan podcast? Yeah, like how did you become so interesting and knowledgeable? Well, like probably a lot of sometimes hard work, you know. So Randall Carlson has to like read and read and read and read and dig through like old journals and you know go on trips and talk to people and be solitary and Experts, all this stuff. Yeah, and exactly. Paul Stamets has to do science and like fail over and over again and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that stuff is yeah, be rejected from institutions yes. and scientific journals and and yeah. struggle against it. But look what it exactly. it's like tested by fire. Like look what it turns into. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I don't know where that concludes, but that is what it is. What were your topics? Have we even gotten close? Did you have something yeah. we can change gears a little bit if we want? Well, yeah, no, the dreams we can come back at another time. We'll never leave young and dreams but i we're gonna shift gears hard now because uh i had two very different topics to mention um that are slightly related and the first one is these book bannings in florida quote book bannings mm. have you heard about this i've heard mention of it and i've heard it when i heard it it was given with also an opinion so yeah tell me Give me the People are like, Ron DeSantis is banned in the books. Um, and so I briefly looked into this. And if you're listening, please tell people to listen to this podcast because I would love to get to the bottom of a lot of things and talk about it on the podcast. But in order to do that, I would need to be doing this full time. And we don't make any money from this. So I can't get to the bottom of everything. We only lose money. And only one of us, <laughs> Ben has a job. And Mr. A, as you just found out, has nothing. So if you want me to not be depressed and for Ben to do more research, I mean, I would love to get to the bottom of the glitter conspiracy. I want to talk to this scientist that I found. I have a tab open on my computer that's been open for like three or four weeks. And it's just a picture oh of this guy. So I don't forget that I am going to one day talk to this guy and be like, let's figure out if glitter is coming out of the backs of planes and might have something to do with your microplastic theory. But I cannot do that because I'm busy thinking about whether or not I'm going to invest in a large box to move under a bridge. So please support the podcast. Yes. Like and subscribe. Exactly. <laughs> Link in the show so notes. So I <laughs> there, which there's didn't not. get to the bottom of this. Yeah, yeah there's no there's show no notes. There's no link. There's so. no show notes. So yeah. Yeah. Who uses show notes anyway? I've never used show notes, so yeah. I don't make them for our listeners. Call in. Anyway. There's no number. Uh, I didn't get to the bottom of it, but I did do some digging, and I was like, what is going on with these book bannings? So it's hard to say. So they had these two bills, I guess, in Florida. One was uh, the Don't Say Gay bill, which is not called Don't Say Gay. The bill was called, like, Parents' Rights and Education or something. Like, it was very different than Don't Say Gay. Um, and was about parents' ability to, like, have input on what was going on in the schools, which seems, you know, Obvious. in theory, like, just on the face of it, why would that be bad? Like, don't say gay sounds much worse than, you know, uh, parents' rights for education. Anyway, so that was one of them. And then the other one was about the Stop Woke Act or whatever. And it sounds like it's an anti, you know, certain rhetoric. But actually, it, if you dig into it, it's not that. Like, apparently, 
Ron DeSantis and Florida schools have actually done more about educating kids on African-American history and incorporating it into the education in recent years. And the Stop Woke was really about like critical race theory. And I think one of the quotes was like to make kids not feel guilty and shamed about things that their ancestors did um, of their ancestors of their race or whatever. And so I thought that was very at least that part of it seemed on the face like, yeah, we shouldn't make people feel guilty for things that they didn't do. Um, So anyway, all that aside, they didn't also ban the books. So that's one thing that's weird is that I think what they said is that books, so they had like some approved reading and they were like, things that are not on this need to be reviewed by someone. Um, And I think it was like the librarians of the school are supposed to be reviewing the books and maybe people could complain and maybe that's, you know, like if one complaint happened, I think they had to pull the book, which seems wrong or whatever. So anyway, there's a lot of details. Like it's very thorny. It's not what it sounds like on the news. Um, and then I saw some stats about some of the books that were being found in the schools and that had been removed. And I was like, holy beep, like this is unbelievable. I could not believe these books were in elementary schools. So you support book burning. I understand now. Yeah, that's what I was going to start the segment with. I was like, I don't support book banning, but I do agree with some of these books that are being removed from the schools. <laughs> so Yeah, that because I think banning is not like democratic. I think, you know, we shouldn't ban books like that sounds very dystopian. But then we're really talking about like young kids and some of these, you know, in particular, the ones that I was looking at. And obviously I'm interested in this because I'm a part of the community, these LGBTQ books. And literally one of them I looked at that had been removed from schools. This is not a joke. There was a depiction, images in the book of a child giving another child a blowjob on a strap on. That should not be in elementary schools. I've heard about this one. It should not be in elementary schools. Yeah. I don't know what we're talking about. Like what? That's just porn. Okay, that needs to be removed. This all comes from this is this might help you in your journey to discovering the depths of this. So you think about like how prevalent porn is these days, like how easily accessible it is. All if I, okay, good. That was my topic too. If I understand this correctly, it. all of this is let's say allowed based on interpretation of free speech. Right. I think, isn't that the case or whatever, that there was a case about, like, whether this was porn or something? Yeah, there's even, like, stipulations, like, it has to have, like, some kind of artistic quality to it or something like that. But it's so obviously being misconstrued, you know, because there's there's just a difference between decency and free speech it's it, porn is not speech yes. you know what i mean like it's difficult but it's difficult to parse and i think the judge in that case was quoted with saying something like i don't know what porn is but i know it when i see yeah. it which is like a famous like, line yeah right which is hard you know like to take as like oh well how do we implement that you know but it's like but it is difficult because it's like is a naked, you know, statue porn is like even a sexual scene like that can be artistic, you know, like we have art that is sexual in nature that isn't porn. And I don't think most people would say that's offensive. And I think maybe that's the part of it that like makes it porn is like something about it is a little bit offensive to people um, or could be offensive. Um, And yeah, I think you really part of it's like just you have to use good judgment. And and what's happening now is 
part of the answer is emerging, which is, it's like, let's go with like full-fledged free speech is allowed. That means if you want to make content depicting whatever you want, then it's allowed. And if you want to put pornographic material on television, that's allowed because it's too difficult to maintain free speech and to ban the stuff, which by the way, really very interesting contradiction within the mind of many progressive leftists. Free speech means free speech. You can have porn in schools and you should let kids see strap on blowjobs performed by children. Also second amendment, you should only be able to have shotguns. You can't have this kind of gun or that. It's like, What's the principle we're following here? Is it about the amendment that free speech is free speech, so therefore we can justify things, but we can't use the same logic to justify firearm ownership? I mean, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't, none of it's coherent in the first place, but Mm -hmm. whatever. Here's what you do. You just don't watch it. And that seems to be the hardest thing for people. And yeah, well, that could be fine for the adults. I think for the kids, it's a little more thorny. Well, you have to, you know. the ch- parents have to be responsible for If you don't, if you want to maintain yeah, responsibility yeah. for your children, exercise that responsibility. If there's a bunch of yeah. shit on the internet, if there's a bunch of shit on TV, don't let your children watch it. Like, don't participate. Yeah, well, so that was my second topic. And because I looked up all these stats on porn because, okay. A couple of thoughts. I was like looking into the book bannings and then I was like, the argument is really not like, oh, because I think people will be like the argument for keeping those books in is like, that's LGBTQ silencing or whatever. And I'm like, that's not what that is. That's like literally porn like that. We don't need porn like LGBTQ is not porn. And to equate those things is really crazy to me. And some people actually prefer cartoonized pornography. So if cartoon porn is porn, how come books with cartoon porn isn't? porn because it has like a blurb about some crazy theory next to it that makes it educational therefore have it in there yeah. like it's psychotic yeah and then i was like what is going on the dark thing to me is like who wrote these children's books? Uh, well like, you know who's done really psychologically with these people but tim like, pool has done great work on specifically this topic and i don't know mm-hmm. how to find it for you but basically digging into like who did write i mean there's it's like the people that are producing this kind of stuff some of them are it's like it's kind of like when you go back what was that guy's name something money that the first transgender kind of the dawning of that was like a botched circumcision that this guy performed and then decided that the best thing to do was like cut the deck off and then you know make that person trans and then both of these twins that were part of this ended up committing suicide or something i mean it was just this dark 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 beginning and that somehow turned into like some freedom fight for this thing that ultimately social came, liberty yeah came about whatever. through some totally other situ- situation that hmm. you know which we've talked about before like do you want to die on a hill that you call righteous that's really just a bunch of bodies you know dead bodies like it's it's yeah. weird no I'm not familiar with that but yeah I who knows and that does scare I me think a the person bit. that produced um, the work we're talking about if I could this could be total misinformation but I think I'm correct has uh, their own personal story is quite demented like horrible horrible upbringing and they are just like a psychologically damaged person that was raised mm. by like essentially abusive parents I mean 
the story that he told that he that they were talking about, I think had to do with that book exactly that you're talking about, was just like the person responsible for it was like you would not take advice from that person. You just wouldn't because they would tell you their story and you'd be like, wow, that's fucked up. And then you go, oh, tell me how I should raise my kids based on that. And it's like, no, like it's not right. How that, that what, what you know what I mean? I, I, I don't know the details, but that's the, the gist of it is somewhere along mm. those lines. Interesting. Well, but what's yeah. Your, but yeah, so, what's your point? So I was looking into all of this. I was like, well, what's going on with porn and like how prevalent is it? And I found some statistics. I'm just going to share. I don't really believe in statistics. They don't exist. The exactness of them. Oh. Like, so don't be like, oh, I said 26% and that means 20. You know, it could be more, it could be less. It always depends on the sample and whatnot. But anyway, these will give you general ideas. And I was a little shocked at how prevalent it is. So apparently, here's just some numbers. 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. About... 5%, I think, of the internet, like the web pages, are porn. About 25%, so a quarter, of all search engine requests are porn-related. Yeah, so just a large portion, so like 5% of the internet is porn. And then way more than that, though, there's like way more demand than is actual content. So like 35% of all internet downloads and a quarter of all search engine requests So it's a lot. And so here's some more numbers. I'll just drill through some numbers here. 28,000 users are watching porn every second. Uh, $3,000, around that much, is spent on porn every second. Uh, 90% of teens and 96% of young adults are either encouraging, accepting, or neutral when they talk about porn. 55% of adults 25 and older believe porn is wrong. So that's a weird one. Uh, More than half of adults 25 and older believe porn is wrong. Wait, say those numbers. Say those numbers again. Those were interesting numbers. Say those numbers again. 90% of teens and 96% of young adults are either encouraging, accepting, or neutral when they talk about porn with their friends. But 55% of adults 25 and older believe porn is wrong. So... It seems like as you age, maybe people's attitudes towards porn shift, or maybe just the younger generation is more accepting. And yeah, so the question is: Will those young adults eventually become once they hit twenty five? Will their opinions change, or will the whole trend of society just keep getting more pornographic? Yeah. So here's a breakdown by the generations that I thought was interesting. So if you look at what percentage of these age groups believe porn is bad for society, so if you look at teens. And this is just this one research paper, so it depends on how you cut it. But 43% of teens believe it's wrong for society. Less of young adults. So 31% of young adults. More of millennials. 51% of millennials think it's wrong for society. So you get this uptick in millennials thinking it's bad. Less from Gen X. So 44% of Gen X think it's bad. And almost 60%, 59% of boomers. That's the highest group. So the oldest people on average, are most likely to think it's bad for That's society. an interesting trend. So millennials and boomers thinking it's not very good. Gen X and teens are kind of close. And then young adults are like, mostly it's okay. More porn, the better, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So it's weird. And here's a there's a lot of stats, so I could just keep riffing. Um, here's some marital stats on porn, talking about men and women uh, maybe getting together. 68% of divorce cases involved one party meeting a new lover over the internet. That is a high percentage, 68%. Meeting a new lover over the internet. Now, correlation doesn't equal causation, but that is yes, it very shocking but, to me. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> 56% of divorce cases involved one party having, quote, an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. More than half involved a party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. Crazy. And then 70% of wives of sex addicts could be diagnosed with PTSD. So very damaging to people's relationships. I got two other categories that I'll talk about. One is porn in the church. Um, church porn. Which is, you know, people's favorite topic. Uh, Catholics, beware. Um it says one in five youth pastors and one in seven senior pastors use porn on a regular basis and are currently struggling. That's more than 50,000 U.S. church leaders. Um, so that's a little striking. Uh, 43% of senior pastors and youth pastors say they've struggled with porn in the past. And 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say that they watch porn at least once a month. So... I don't want to judge people, you know, whatever. I just think my point is really it's just more prevalent than we're led to believe maybe, or maybe you might suspect, at least I suspected. Um, And, of course, you know, these statistics could be wrong. My suspicion is that they, in general, are probably underreporting what the actual values would be because it's not socially desirable to say these things. And so you are more likely to report that you're not doing something or doing it less frequently than you actually are if you think it's a bad thing to do, which 55% of adults think it's bad. So Maybe. It's interesting, too, because finding out these statistics could also increase usage because you find yourself being part of a larger cohort. Oh, it's more you know, normative. Like, oh, well, this... Because people accuse that Kinsey report of being of having that effect. Basically, he was like, Oh, this many people like are gay, and I think he said like ten percent of the population are gay, and was the first study to ever kind of estimate yeah, that. Yeah, and like five percent of people are like zoophiles or bestiality people or whatever. You know, it's just like so so many. I feel like I've heard you know reports that that from there forward, it all like it's like the dawning of normalization of that kind of thing. Yeah, and I guess I do feel conflicted about that because on one hand, I do think it is powerful to know that kind of stuff, because maybe it does uh, result in a psychological benefit. Like maybe you suffer less over it. Maybe you feel less ostracized. Maybe you have people you can connect with. I've also heard the same argument about miscarriages. Um, I think women feel comforted when they know that miscarriages are actually very prevalent um, and that people systematically underestimate the prevalence of miscarriages. Um now, you could extend that argument. The same thing happens with abortion, where people mm. underestimate the prevalence of abortion and abortion rates are maybe higher than people expect. Um, and then you could say that, well, maybe that causes more abortions, which is a societal bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know. That depends on what you think is right or wrong. And I think, again, to our point, it's nuanced, though. It's like you can say if you're, you know, like the Kinsey studies, like you do find yourself having homosexual attractions or non-heterosexual interests, I don't think that makes you wrong. Like, And I think that 
people can go down this negative spiral of like shame and guilt and and maybe even to suicide and maybe it's very helpful to like know that like you're not the only person who struggles with this that doesn't make this like the ideal but it also doesn't make you unworthy to survive or live as a person and to have a normal life and you know whatnot um, and I'm not saying I don't want to judge, you know, like, I don't know what the ideal is. I'm just saying that some people don't think it is. Some people do. So, you know, whatever. Here's the last mm. stats that I thought were really interesting. So this is really strange to me. There are higher percentages of subscriptions to porn sites in zip codes that, and then it lists some categories. So in zip codes that are more urban than rural, so porn subscriptions are higher in urban areas than in rural areas. What's a subscription? Now, Does that mean you're paying and you like have an account on these websites? Yeah, it must be. Because so that's not even required. That one, yeah. yeah, you could say that one seems, you know, maybe people in urban areas have more money, you know, to spend on these things. That one's not so strange. I would say it might be because you're surrounded by so many more people that you don't feel identifiable you know, you feel more anonymous oh, in a way. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, yeah, because that's a good point. So you're like, well, I'll just, yeah. I mean, I'm on this, but so is like a million other people. I mean, I'm like my apartment building has like a five thousand people living in it. Whereas out in the rural area, you know, things are a little more dispersed, and you could be fingered. I don't want to use that word in this context. You could be like identified what? easier, like fingered. You know, pointed out. You could be. Oh. identify uh, the <laughs> word the i don't know weird what, double entente there yeah <laughs> but you could be well you so know what i'm saying it just creates that i did think it was interesting because you may think people have actually more sexual access in the city and so they would be using less porn but in urban areas actually people are using porn more often despite the fact that they have more sexual access just meaning there's more people to have sex with in the city um, right so that is counterintuitive maybe in that sense here's another one um there are higher percentages of subscription to porn sites in zip codes that have experienced an increase in higher than average household income. So I think the you know conclusion there is like people when they make more money, uh, you know you tend to see this higher percentage of subscription to porn sites. So you know I wonder why that is. You know you could just say well they can afford it more and so they subscribe to it more. But it's also like, why is money and wealth correlated with usage of porn? Like that is a weird, maybe striking fact, to me at least. Maybe you feel like it's more justifiable somehow in that case. The richer you are, the more leeway you get in a lot of, in a lot of things, you know. Oh, like, maybe, in, yeah. Like I have a friend who lives in, or I don't know where she lives now, but she's French from Paris. And I asked her before, so many French movies or shows like show cheating and like we see it too in like american television but it's like a big deal you know if you get cheated on whereas there it's they depict it slightly differently like it is a big deal but it seems like common and i asked her about oh, it and she was like yeah it is common but she's like she told me it's really like more of a rich people thing oh to wow. like be able to do that and get away with it you know it's like not it's like you find out that some rich politician is like having an affair and it's like well of course you know where it's like it doesn't really shock the conscience the same way because but it is like socioeconomically dictated in a certain way she's like that's not something everybody just gets away with it just it's very oh, dependent interesting yeah yeah so i have two other ones here that really mm. interested me so there are a higher percentage of subscriptions to porn sites in areas 
where there are a higher proportion of people with undergraduate degrees. So education is also correlated with porn subscriptions. Well, the higher education will liberalize you quite a bit. Yeah, there's like a liberalization effect, and maybe that makes you more accepting of porn or think it's good. But then that's interesting to me because it's like, it is weird. There is some conflict there between like, people talk about like the higher education liberalizing us, but it also maybe comes at the cost of like, our social values, our traditional values. And like, you know, like there's a balance to be found there. And like, maybe this is one way in which some people, at least myself, find that like, oh, that's, that's a little weird that people who get educated use porn more. Weird. Interesting. And then the last one. Um, so there's a higher percentage of porn subscriptions in areas where they have higher measures of social capital, um, i.e. more people who donate blood, engage in volunteer activities, and participate in community projects. So I thought that was very strange. And maybe that's a liberalization effect again. Like people who are more liberal and active are more likely to use porn. Again, I think it could be another. I'm just throwing out it could be like a justifiable thing. You know, like, well, it, a lot of I think a lot of rich people do a lot of ph philanthropy because they feel guilty. I have a lot. Other people have a little. And if I give a little, I feel better about myself. So like if you're in a community of people that are all doing a lot of good, maybe they have a little more leniency towards their shortcomings. Yeah. I don't know. Those are weird statistics. Yeah. Those are really interesting. Isn't it weird? Yeah. I was just shocked by the prevalence of porn, you know, 35% of internet downloads and a quarter of searches. And then, yeah, just all these weird statistics about like how many people think it's bad. You know, so a quarter of searches are porn, but then more than half of Americans think that porn is bad. So, you know, it's like... There's got to be overlap with people that are looking yes. at porn and, and thinking it's bad. Right. Obviously, it's a very thorny subject. Um and I think, yeah, it's clear that we seem to be divided if you just look at, like, our activity and then what we say about it. And then also just the correlation of, like, actual, act, like, porn subscriptions and area, you know. So it's like, it is very, yeah, strange. And then, too, with the ages, I thought that was interesting. Like, millennials, it's not like, oh, you just get older and you become more accepting of or you become less accepting of porn. It's like millennials had this like spike, like that generation in particular thought it was bad. Well, um, we, more so than like Gen X. The millennials like myself saw the dawning of the internet in a certain way, but like early internet was different than it is now. You know, like it used to be like, like the MySpace chat room. Well, we used to know like websites to go to. Now everything's a Google. Even if you know the website, you still search mm. it in Google, you know? So like everything is like a search query and Pornhub is like the Netflix of porn. And I think maybe as a millennial seeing it go from like something not like maybe not even safe to try to find. And we had dial up when I was a kid. It was actually difficult to like see a, like an image because it had to like load on your screen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was just totally different. Now it's like 4K instantly. Well, now, too, people are participating in the creation of it. You've got, like, OnlyFans where it's like anybody can, you know, make a porno or whatever. And that's another level of, like, 
access and uh, yeah, it's very that very strange. I my I think my thoughts on it are difficult for me to even understand myself. But just even just those statistics really point to something like millions and millions of people of all age groups, but especially young. I mean, let's see. Let's look up this really quick. Well, okay, too, while you look that up, those stats, just in case anyone wants to go look them up, and so I'm sourcing it, it's from covenanteyes.com, like eyes, you know, E-Y-E-S. And, yeah, it's just their pornography statistics. So, yeah, there's a lot on there that I didn't even go through. But uh, another weird one that I didn't mention is and I don't know how they measured this, but it says 88% of scenes in porn films contained acts of physical aggression. And I, I have noticed this. Like, it's porn for a reason. Like, it's almost set off from, like, love sex or whatever. Like, and you can, like, I think love porn is, like, a thing. But that's, like, not all porn is love porn. Well, like, yeah. love porn is actually a small group of porn. <laughs> so most of it is, like, something else. Me and Kim make fun of the, we always say this little quote because we watched, I think it was Shane Dawson or someone. We saw it a, a million years ago. And it was just, like, a throwaway comment that was just said so quickly. And we just thought it was so funny because they were talking about, like, porn or something. And then he's, like, mentioned the category. He's, like, straight homemade. So Shane Dawson is like basically gay, but his favorite porn category, I don't know if it's a joke, but it was just funny because he's like, oh, I love straight homemade. And it's like, you just think like grainy, shitty quality, there's no, like one camera angle, probably like it's your cell phone <laughs> or whatever. You know what I mean? Like whatever straight homemade is. And he's like, oh, that's my favorite, which is like the most, it's so Shane Dawson, like just kind of like average in every way, except for his YouTube status, yeah. you know, a guy that's like, oh, I just love like the straight homemade like because they like love each other <laughs> and it's like a couple and like that's nice it's like okay that's hilarious well but even that's interesting there's like some nuance there like it's not like it's all one thing and it's like maybe we feel like at least i would feel better about that like than hard aggressive you know abusive some a lot of that stuff is acting though so like it, it has aggression in it but it's like yeah i could understand like watching rough produced porn like that makes more sense than like i know i want a video oh. of real actual rough po- like a real rape yeah. like that's demented you know but yeah. may- but maybe oh, and people have made that argument that like it's an outlet maybe for like aggressive impulses well that- that's very freudian yeah i know i don't know that that's true i guess i sense that like people will say that oh at least one argument could be that like people would do those things normally or like because they're watching these aggressive porn videos, they're not doing them in real life, which is a societal good. Bullshit. But then I guess my sense is that, yeah, it's accelerating it's those accelerating people into exponentially. doing. Yeah. Exponentially. Like we mentioned yeah. before, f- 50 years ago, blowjob was like something you might not even do with your partner because that right, was just right. vulgar and maybe even gross or whatever. I don't know. Here's a statistic. A common sense media survey found that the average age, this is the average age that most kids are exposed to porn is 12 years old. And then 15% saw, first saw porn when they were 10. Uh, I don't know what that kind of psychological impact that has on you, but I will, without divulging too much, as I've already done in previous episodes, um, had experiences, real life and like internet incidents, content, content exposure. 
through through different means and whatever you know when you were young yeah and i think that it does have like a detrimental effect on your psychology because you you end up with like conflict yeah no my experience i i vividly remember the first time i ever encountered porn the idea was i was in i think i was in the first grade really um yeah and there was someone I don't want to out them on the podcast. Uh, Dox them now. I'll call them EK. And Edward it was this Killjoy. Young, <laughs> this young boy who wanted to get me, he was trying to get me to say the word porn. And he was like, say corn with a P. And I was like, pecorn. <laughs> Children. And I didn't yeah, understand that. <laughs> and literally, because I didn't know, like I literally just didn't know. And then I went to the teacher because I felt... Like, what was happening was wrong. Mm. I didn't even know what he was trying to get me to do. I just felt like he knew that it was wrong, and he was trying to get me to do something bad. And so I went and told the teacher. I was like, hey, like, this kid told me to say this. I don't know what it means, but I felt like it was wrong. And then she immediately was like, whoa, that, okay, we're going to go get this kid, and we are going to have a talk, and you're going to go now, and that's the end of that. And I didn't know what it was. I think I told mom and dad later that night. I was like, this kid said this thing to me and I don't know what it is. And I think mom and dad were just kind of like, oh, don't worry about that. That's a bad thing that adults do and whatnot. And but, you know, I could tell kind of to your point, like this had psychologically affected this child, you know, like they were trying to get me to say it. And like, you know, like that was a very whole weird interaction. Like I didn't even know what it was. And like for some reason, this child was like, I have to get this kid to like say this thing and become aware of this bad thing that I know. It is interesting. I, honest to God, not provable, but I think that that reaction that you had is actually natural. And I think that's a good example of how natural it is because you didn't even know what it was, but you had some inclination that something was afoot. Because I was kind of a, sort of kind of a mama's boy in a way. I, I, because my parents were divorced. So, and I live with my mom. Mm. And I had lots of like guilt and shame about stuff like that. Like I even uh, found like Sports Illustrated magazines, which there, I found them somewhere like my uncle's room or something. Not this, not the uncle, you know, it's a different part of the family. But, and there was a lot of like swimsuit editions. And I looked at those. And then I had like extreme guilt about it, just seeing like swimsuit models with like maybe you could almost see nipple through like the white fabric, bit, fabric, mm-hmm. you know. And it just created like so it's such an intense negative reaction. But also, it's like how uh, think about how odd that is. It's like I'm compelled to look at them, and I mm-hmm. want to look at them, but I'm also riddled with guilt and shame and i'm like i have to tell my mommy like that's weird you know i like what is going on yeah. and it, yeah there's well and part of the nudity too it's weird because it's just natural like part of it is like socially constructed because it's like we all wear clothes and it's like in you know some societies like like there's nudist societies you know like tribes and whatnot and then like you couldn't even have that experience of like seeing a nipple for the first time and being like whoa that's so wrong you know and it's like i wonder so if every nudist weird. i wonder if every nudist colony is a bunch of perverts or if it's like not you know like who knows because i can imagine like i have that inclination to be like very free but i'm also have lots of inclinations that are 
anti that. You know, it's it's kind of a conflict mm, within like me. modesty. It, it's weird, yeah. Like I don't, and I think it comes from that kind of realization that like it could be another way, but it isn't, and that leads me to be like, so well, it's personal. You know, oh, it's it's like a personal thing. But then you have to consider like the societal effect of that, which is here. Let's look at these statistics. Have you ever heard of the um, like the Pornhub year in review? Oh, and they do like a Spotify rap sort of thing? Yes. I haven't heard of this, but okay. So 2022 year in review, the searches that define 2022, number one, reality. I guess these are porn categories. I don't know exactly, but the reality category grew by 169% while real homemade searches grew by 179% worldwide and 310% in the U.S. Interesting. People don't like the acting. (laughs) Okay, now here is the most revealing statistic in my opinion and i have only looked at one so i can already tell you this is the most <laughs> revealing the transgender category grew by 75 percent to become the seventh most popular worldwide in the number one category in brazil that's hmm. so clearly indicates the normalization factor of public conversation oh and discourse because well, it, yeah, that's go ahead. It, but and I think number one and number two are juxtaposed. You know, they indicate mm, the the, the left and the right, the, the bifurcation. Yeah, I want to see real life. I want to see real. I don't want to see actors. Love I want to see real people that aren't famous, that are making something that I can, in my mind, more relate to, and it's more mm. r- raw, for lack of a better term. No. More real, literally. Right, that's literally real. Versus mm. number two, which is like kind of the opposite. You know, like I want to see this like totally new, mm, yeah, bizarre yeah. kind of thing that's just so well, freaking different. Mm, that was the thing I was going to take too about just the trans mm-hmm. thing there. It's like, because, and this is the point Jordan Peterson has made that people don't want to talk about, but it's like the most obvious thing about it is that there is a highly sexual component of this and like clearly there is because it's showing up as the number one porn category in brazil and number two on this list so it's like clearly this there's something highly sexual about this it, like people are literally searching for this it's most porn i would say it's mostly a sexual situation thing that's going on and it's not just trans people because trans people are only like one or two percent of the population like if it's the number two thing that's way more people than just trans people looking at this so yeah. that is yeah very interesting very, very interesting very interesting um yeah what's number three three group sex the threesome category grew by 34 percent to become the oh. fourth most popular worldwide as well as 133 percent gain for orgy isn't that also group sex yeah it's kind of weird a threesome versus orgy i guess uh outdoors is number four grew by 121 percent um Travel surges grew by 32% and camping by 62%. Then positions, feet, femdom. Uh, let's see. I've probably got some other ones. Let's see. Most searched for terms of 2022. This is trendy terms aside. Pornhub's number one worldwide search in 2022 remained. This is, I just made this point about that book you were talking about, right? The trendy terms aside. Pornhub's number one worldwide search in 2022 remained hentai, which is like cartoon stuff. Yes. Okay. I thought about that. So yeah, back to the children's books, it's like, 
if this is the number one searched porn term and it's an animated type of porn and we're talking about letting cartoon depictions of porn in children's education it's like what it's like very weird it seems weird seems yeah this is these statistics yeah. are so interesting yeah. okay so i'm just going to run through the most just I, some of these i don't even know what they mean but hentai yeah japanese this is in descending order so top is hentai next japanese milf lesbian p-i-n-a-y pinay asian stepmom okay now we're getting vulgar Anal, big ass, threesome, Latina, ebony, massage, <laughs> big tits, anime, cream pie, gangbang, blowjob, public, BBC, amateur, cosplay, POV, Indian. Beep. Yeah. So <laughs> interestingly, trans is actually way down on the list, but it has a four point increase. So wait, what was it on the top of the list for? So it's way down on the search terms, but, but what uh, was it we were talking about a second ago? We were talking. So that's interesting. Yeah. So. Those first ones we went through were like the things that grew the most, I think. So it seems like that must oh, be what oh. it I guess that's what they're pointing out in that one. Got it. So that's it. interesting. United States most searched for terms. Okay, so this is just the US. Lesbian, hentai, ebony, Latina, Asian, threesome, stepmom, big ass, BBC, cream by Japanese, anal, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Furry is last for America. Go America. We're not too far into the furries, but it grew a lot. Um,. But these are still the top terms, so it's like it's last still the top, the yeah. Top terms, what, yeah. I don't know what's what comes next after furry. Somebody they probably left that <laughs> off on purpose. Okay, let's see. <laughs> oh um, United States top <laughs> relative searches. So what uh, what state are you in right now? Texas. Okay, so these are the terms searched for more often in each state when compared to all other states. Texas panties. <laughs> what? <laughs> what the fuck? They're really into panties compared to everybody else. Oh um God, that's funny let's see i'm in georgia big ass that makes sense what about california california asian makes sense uh, interesting let's see oh okay uh what's the state right above um uh california is that washington or is that oregon that comes next oregon yeah oregon they are the compared to everybody else they're into furry uh, says a lot i think there are some furry communes up there really yeah. So you've you've spent a lot of time in Michigan. Is Michigan the yes. what's what shape is that? The mitten. Okay, that is oh god. Can't you just oh use the word blowjob? Why does it have to be sucking dick? Wow. Okay. That's Michigan. Wow, oh, but weird. um what's the one to the left uh that divided by the lake? Is that uh Wisconsin okay. over there? Maybe I don't they're, really know. They're they're into pegging. I'm testing my geography. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I never hear that word. Oh my god! You guess what Utah's is? Mm, I don't want to. I don't want to like. <laughs> it's too obvious. Is Mormon. It? They're oh. searching for Mormon porn. Like that's like oh so anti. <laughs> what what does that even mean? Some of these aren't so bad. This this one state, what is that? Uh, Illinois looks like they just like um, dirty talk. That's not too bad. That's very Midwestern-y. I like how Georgia, Georgia likes big ass. And then, um, God, what is that state? There's another state uh, right next to Idaho, whatever that one is. Big booty. So they don't like big ass. They like big booty. 
Oh my god. Okay, that's interesting. <sighs> wow. Twenty anyway. top twenty countries by traffic. Who's the most? Oh. Who does the most porn looking at? Wow, the winner is the winner by far. The United States. Oh. United States, United Kingdom, France, Japan, Mexico, Italy, Germany, Canada, Philippines. So, let's see who spends the most time per visit. Egypt. They like to watch for a long time, 11 minutes, 12 seconds average duration. Let's see. United States, how long do they watch for? 9 minutes, 41 seconds. So they're spending a lot of time, but not a lot of time at a time. The The favorite time to watch porn? 11 at midnight. 11 p.m. and midnight. <laughs> God, oh not many people watching at 5 a.m., though. Thank goodness. <laughs> right before work. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, I gotta God. get up. Okay, anyways. Oh, wow. Some of these, these are so anyway. interesting. So funny. Wow. What else must viewed categories? <laughs> Sorry. Mr. These A's are just, just going to keep going. These but... are just so weird. Like, they almost seem, like, counterintuitive. You're just like, what? Muscular men. People don't watch that for very long. Okay, anyway. Oh, most search for oh. gay terms. Hentai, twink, pinoy. What is that? Do you know what that is? I don't know. I was going to ask you earlier. I don't it's know. It's one of the is. most search for gay terms. Is number three is pinoy. Pinoy? Oh my God. P-I-N-O-I? The fourth. N O I? O Y. One, O-Y. two, three, four. The fourth most search for gay term is straight. Of course. That's interesting. That's good. That makes sense. Um, Somehow that stereotype is. Oh my God. Completely. The accurate. most viewed gay category is straight guys. Okay. Anyways, well, so I'm having. I'm just in with conclusion. That can of worms, this is probably has just... a detrimental effect on society. It's causing people to have very conflicting internal worlds. <laughs> yeah. Very conflicting. Oh my God. Oh okay. wow. Well. Yeah, we'll have to come back to all of this. Dreams and porn and book bannings and more. Have fun with those stats.